Good morning. Good morning, my dear friends. Um, we have a, a wondrous sicha this morning, um, one of, of many sichas on the Indian of Chet Ha'egel, um, which, you know, there's, there's just like a, a, a sea of, of Hasidus, of the Rebbe's um, sichas on the subject. And we are doing one this morning. It's Chelek um, Tazayin, Kisisa, and it's Sicha Dalit. And let's just begin by looking at some of the psukim surrounding um, the pasuk that the Rebbe and the Rashi that the Rebbe is stopping on. Um, so if you turn to Kisisa, Lamed Beis 32, Lamed Dalit 34. So chapter 32, verse 34. Um, so earlier in the Parsha, we learn about Moshe's shuttle diplomacy. Hashem tells him that there is a big fiasco going on downstairs. He must go down right away. He goes down. He takes care of what has to be taken care of immediately, <laughs> does some initial damage control, and then comes back up. Um, well, first, Moshe staves off Hashem's wrath and gets Hashem to say, yeah, I'm not going to destroy them all. Then he runs down takes care of what has to be taken down, runs back up to Hashem. And um, if you look back, actually, in uh, Lamed Beis, Lamed Beis, 3232, Maisha uh, says the iconic words, and now if you will bear, if you will forgive their sin, and the implication is that will be good. And if you don't, Blot me out from your book. Blot me out from your Torah. And um, last week's uh, Parsha, Tetzave, was the only Parsha, notably, uh, from the time that Moshe is born, where Moshe's name is not mentioned at all until the end of the Torah, until Moshe's death. Every single Parsha has Moshe's name. The Rebbe has a lot of Hasidus on that. The word Biata is even a higher level than actually mentioning Moshe's name. But Moshe's name is not mentioned in the, in the Parsha last week, even though Hashem did not totally destroy B'nai Yisrael. Um, but since Moshe had said, erase me, blot me out from your book, this had to be Mekoyim in some way. Okay. Then Hashem says in Lamed Gimel, Hashem said to Moshe, I'm not going to blot you out, but those who have sinned against me, I'll blot them out from my book. And then Hashem says, and now, lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel will go before you. However, this story is not over. On the day when I take account of them, Rashi says, every time that B'nai Shol will sin, I will take their sin into account. There will be a little bit of the cheta egel that will be, re, that will be um, included in that sin and therefore in the punishment. It's kind of, you know how like during COVID, everybody started with the, um, what was it called? That bread and you need a starter. Uh, what's, remind me. Anyway, so it's like, this is the starter sin of all sins that So, uh, 
Sipa, I saw on your face that you were, help me, what's, what's the kind of the bread? The, sourdough. Thank you, the sourdough. And to make sourdough, you need to have a little bit of starter. So it's the same thing, the sourdough, the, the, the sins that we would do for all time until the end of time would all be linked to this sin and the punishment would be intermingled with that punishment. Then the Torah says, tells, uh, tells us in Lamed Hay 35, Hashem struck the people with a plague because they had worshipped a calf that Aaron made. And this was the second of three punishments. The first was, of course, the, um, the Egel itself that Maisha burnt, then he ground it up, then he mixed it with water, and then he made the Jewish people drink that, that, um, that potion, not everybody. It was those people among the Jews for whom there was no Adim, there were no witnesses that had sinned, and no Hasra, and no prior warning. And Rashi says, "Butku kisaitis," and in this fashion, they were they were checked, they were they were tested, just like the isha saita, the suspected adulteress, is checked in a similar fashion. And if, um, in fact, they had sinned, their stomach would become distended, and they would die a heinous death. Uh, so that was the first punishment the Torah tells us about. And now we have this. I'm sorry, no, I think the Levium are before that, the Sayyid. First, the Levium killed those that had um, Adam and Hasra. Then, they're, then we're taught about the, 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 um, the checking, and then there's the plague. Okay, now, Lamed Gimel Aleph, and this is the Rashi that the Rebbe um, stops on, right? Dabai Hashem al Moshe, Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, Lech Alei Mizeh, leave, go up from this place, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt. To the land of which I swore. I swore to Abram, to Yitzhak, to Yaakov, saying to your descendants, I will give it. Now, Rashi, Lech Alei Mizeh, so Rashi says, Eretz Yisrael Gavoye Mikol HaRatzais, Eretz Yisrael is the highest of all the lands, Lekach Nemar Alei. Therefore, it says, go up. Davar Acher, another thing, Klape Sha'amar Alei, as opposed to what he had said to him earlier, Bashas HaKas, when Hashem was angry at Moshe, Hashem said, Lech Raid, go down. Amar Alei Bashas Ratzain, so he said to him now, in this time of goodwill, in this time of reconciliation, Lech Alei. Go, go up. And the next part of Rashi is what this sicha begins with. You and the people. And Rashi says, Here, Hashem did not say your people and your people. Okay, so let's look at the significance of this. We are learning our sicha today. In the schos of Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak ben Simachasia, that Hashem should grant him a refuah shalema kreva. Aleph, again, Parshas Kisisa, Dalit, in Chelek Tezayin. The pasuk by Yidaber Hashem al Moshe lech alei mizeh atav ha'am asher halisa meretz mitzrayim. In the pasuk where the Eibush says Hashem spoke to Moshe and said, "Go, go up, rise from here." you and the nation that you have brought up from the land of Egypt. 
Perish Rashi, Bedibar Maschal Hasheni. In the second part of his commentary, Rashi explains, Atavahaam, on the words you and the nation, Khan, Loi, Amar Amcha. Here Rashi did not say as he did, here the Torah does not say as Hashem said earlier, Amcha, your nation. It simply says you and the nation, not your nation. Bipashtos, simply speaking. Perish Rashi Simply speaking, this Perush comes as a continuation of his earlier commentary on the words Lech which we have just read, where Rashi says, because when Hashem was upset with Moshe, Hashem said, Go, go down, descend. So now, in a time of reconciliation, Hashem says to him, Lech Ale, go, go up, ascend. And in continuation of this, Rashi writes, That just like pursuing to Moshe, when Hashem said, Lech Alei, go, go up, Hashem therefore remedied what he had said in his time of anger to Moshe, Lech read, go down. Kach Yisrael. So it is regarding B'nai Yisrael. Tmura Zeshalif Nekin, Amar Kadesh Baruch Hu, Lech read, Kishiches Amcha, Asher Ha'elisa Me'eretz Mitzrayim. Because earlier, when Hashem had let Moshe know that there was a lot of trouble going on downstairs, Hashem had said, go down, because your nation, Amcha, has corrupted itself. Asher Elisa, that you took out and that you brought up Meretz Mitzrayim. And this kind of terminology, Shazehu Bitu Shaloi L'Shifchan Shal Bnei Yisrael. And this was not in praise of them. When Hashem said to Moshe, Amcha, Asher Elisa, this was not a praise. Ukefisha Perish Rashi Sham, like Rashi explained over there, Shiches Amcha, your nation corrupted itself. Shiches Ha'am Lo'inemar, it doesn't say there, the nation corrupted itself. Ela Amcha, your nation. And Rashi continues to explain, Erev Rav, this was the mixed multitude, the riffraff. That you accepted on of your own volition, on your own of your own responsibility. You didn't consult with me, Hashem said. So now you you start, you know, you you took it upon your responsibility. And look what they did now. They became corrupt, and they corrupted others. So that was earlier. So now. Amar Kadesh Baruch so God said to Moshe, Lech Alei Mizeh, go, go up from here, Ata Veha'am, you and the nation. But the nation is now not being called Amcha, they're being called Ha'am, which implies it's my nation, which brings B'nai Yisrael back up to their previous level. Aval Sarek Lahavit, but the Rebbe says, okay, simply this is what Rashi is teaching us. But it's not so simple. We have to understand. 
It's one thing in the earlier Pasuk when it's specifically talking about the Erev Rav, Asharim, Shichasu, Vishchisu, about that demographic, it, we're told that they corrupted, they were corrupted and they corrupted others. Muvan hatam rashi So previously, it's clear to us that it's talking about a very specific demographic, and Rashi explains why Hashem calls them amcha and doesn't call them ha'am. Shari'at hina terem shamanu rab nikru amcha. Because until now, we were told that only the Erev Rab are called Amcha. Ach lahalon gepasuk vidan, but later in our pasuk, ha'isig ba'alil eretz Yisrael, which is addressing their ascent to eretz Yisrael, alei halaretz asher nishbati, go up to the land that I have promised your forefathers, harei hamedubar hu bepashtos bechol b'nei Yisrael. Okay, look at um, look at Pasuk Aleph in Lamed Gimel, look back at Yechomish, and we have no indication that this is talking about a specific subsidiary B'nai Yisrael. It seems to be saying, you and the nation that you took out of, of Eretz Mitzrayim, and go, so now it's curious that Rashi should draw the symmetry between the earlier Pasuk, Amcha, and the term Ha'am here, when it seems that the Pasuk seems to be talking about all of B'nai Yisrael. Hare HaMeduba back in the Sikha, who bepashtus bechol B'nai Yisrael. It would seem, simply speaking, that this Pasuk, our Pasuk, Lamed Gimel Aleph, is talking about the entire nation. So why would you even have any suspicion? Why would you have any thought that the nation should be called Amcha, Moshe's nation? And Rashi has to underscore, take a look. Here it doesn't say Amcha, it says Am. Why would we even think it should say Amcha? Amcha makes sense about specifically the Erev Rav. But if we're talking about all B'nai Yisrael, why should, why should this even be an issue that Rashi has to say, wow, look here, it doesn't say Amcha, it says Am. The Rebbe continues, on the other hand, and if there is actually a svara, there's a thought process, there's a theory that all of B'nai Yisrael for some reason should be called Amcha, your nation, Moshe's nation. And pursuant to what's being discussed here in the Chumash, they should dafka be called Amcha, Moshe's nation. And therefore, there's a novelty which Rashi points out to us that in this particular pasuk, they're not called Amcha. Then Rashi should have raised this in Perak Lamid Beis, that's 32, Pasuk Lamid Dalit, 34. If you look two Psukim earlier to our Pasuk, Lamid Beis, Lamid Dalit, David just says to Moshe, we read this before, now, lead the people, effectively the same message as in our Pasuk. 
So over there, B'nai Yisrael are not called Amcha, they're called Am. And if there's some reason to believe that in this segment of the Torah, they should be called Amcha, and it's a novelty that they're called Am, we would think Rashi would have raised that in the prior case where this occurs in Lamed Dalet, Perik Lamed Beis, Pasuk Lamed Dalet, and not here in Lamed Gimel Aleph. That's the first Si'if of the Sicha. And with this, the Rebbe sets the stage to uncover uh, a whole new strata of what's going on in the seemingly innocuous Sukkim, if there's ever such a thing. Si'if Beis, Babir and the explanation is as follows. Bidvarav Khan, Barashi Liyashiv, Indian Naisa built him move on. With his words, Rashi is coming to explain and reconcile an additional Indian that is not understood. When it comes to Moshe, who Hashem had said to him, Lech Raid, and Rashi says he was effectively excommunicated from the based in Shalmaila at that moment when Hashem said, Go down, descend. So until this moment, we have not had any indication that Hashem rescinded that Gezerah, Lech Raid. So regarding Moshe, we understand that the Torah is telling us something new in our puzzle. But regarding B'nai Yisrael, the Am to the nation, because two psukim earlier, Hashem had already said to Moshe what seems to be exactly the content of our pasuk, go and lead the nation to the, to the land about which I've spoken to you and that I have promised to their ancestors, so effectively, Rashi's question is actually, why have this Pasuk altogether? What is new in this Pasuk? What is new? What is the new information in this Pasuk juxtaposed against Pasuk Lamedalid in the previous parak? And it has to be that there is something novel in this Pasuk. First of all, because what is said in this Pasuk comes in a new utterance, as it were. The Pasuk begins, This is a new episode. This is a new Dibor. And not only that, and it is separated from the earlier reference to what seems to be essentially the same information by Pasuk Lamed Hei, by Yigav Hashem Asa'am, that Hashem struck the people with a plague. So Rashi is teaching us, the Rebbe reveals for us, something much more than what we think at first blush. Because really what's bothering Rashi is why is this Pasuk here at all? And therefore, Rashi 
therefore Rashi explains that these psukim are talking about two different categories of people, b'chlam. It's not a repetition. It is a separate utterance, a dibor nifrad, because Hashem is talking to Moshe about a different group of people. The first Pasuk that is in Perak Lamid Bays 32, Pasuk Lamid Dalit 34, Hashem is talking to Moshe about the children of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, about whom the rest who had sinned to me, I will erase them from my book. I'll blot them out from my book. And in Paraglamet Gimel, Pasuk Aleph 33, after Hashem sends the plague and a little bit of the punishment has already come, upon those who made the Egel, comes a novel piece of information, a new broadcast, a new memo, and therefore comes in a separate utterance, go from this place and take the nation. And this utterance, this memo, refers rock, the Erev Rav, solely and exclusively for the Erev Rav. Because this demographic has to be underscored, they need a tikkun in their spiritual situation, and they are spoken of separately, exclusively. And now this elucidates why in this Pasuk, Lamed Gimel Aleph, Hashem underscores, this is the nation that you took out of Eretz Mitzrayim, Hainu Mitzrayim. And this is an equal term. This is symmetrical to what was said earlier in the Chumash when Hashem said, Lech raid, go down, because your nation has corrupted itself, that you took out of Eretz Mitzrayim. That Rashi told us refers to the Erev Rab that Misha had taken out of Mitzrayim on his own responsibility. And in similar fashion, this Pasuk is not as one might have believed earlier, speaking to all of B'nai Israel, but actually specifically only to Moshe concerning the Erev Rav. Now, the difference between these two demographics in reference to their serving the Egel practically is elucidated clearly in the Pasuk. Rashi Perish Kfar Le'il. Rashi has already explained to us earlier 
Shalosh Misas Nadainu Sham. There were three types of death that were meted out at that time there. In Yesh Edim Bahasra Besayif, those who had prior warning and witnesses that witnessed the act were killed by agency of the sword that was wielded by the members of Shevet Levi. Edim Beloy Hasra, those that had witnesses but were not warned prior to the act, died in the plague. Loy Edim Beloy Hasra, and those that had no witnesses and no prior warning, Bahadrekan, they they died in a way that is similar to a disease called Hadrakan, or according to others, can you see the word hydro? It seems to be a Greek word. And they died through the waters, Shabbat kum hamayim b'tzavu b'tnehem. They were tested with the waters in which Moshe Rabbeinu had ground up the, uh, the egel and mixed it into the water, and their stomachs became distended. Vihine. And in the way that the Sukkim tell us about these three deaths, we find a very obvious difference. Regarding those who died by sword, it says, and there fell from among the nation. And also regarding the plague, it says, and Hashem smote the nation. But in contradistinction regarding those that were, um, you know, that, that underwent this, this exam, as it were, with the water that would distend their stomachs if they were guilty, it says about them, He gave this to drink to B'nai Yisrael. Not ha'am, like it says about the other two punishments, but b'nei Yisrael. Yisrael And what is the simple difference between the term am and the term b'nei Yisrael? Am koilel es kol ha'am. The term am is inclusive of the entire nation. Gam hagerim, inclusive of the converts. Ve'ilu b'nei Yisrael kasher la'am. But the term B'nai Yisrael, specifically as juxtaposed against the term Am, which is more generic, Mashma'i means B'nai Avraham Yitzchak B'Yakov. That it was specifically the children, the genealogical descendants of Avraham Yitzchak and Yaakov. And we see similarly in the Pasuk that discusses their leave taking from Mitzrayim. Vayisu b'nei Yisrael, b'nei Yisrael traveled. How many? Kesheish me'as elef ragle hagiborim. There were six hundred thousand. V'gam erev rav Allah itam. And then the pasuk says, and also the erev rav came up with them. And so the Rebbe is showing us a different pasuk in the Torah where Am Yisrael means the biologically born Jews, and the erev rav is talking about a different demographic. It's clear that Erev Rav were not included in the number 600,000 of B'nai Yisrael. And once we look at this carefully, we find a great novelty. 
After we had a previous pasuk that tells us that Moshe gave to drink B'nai Yisrael this special potion with the water and the ground of Egel, so it's clear and proven from this that he did not give this to drink to the Erev so therefore we must say, logic compels us to say, So the Rebbe reveals a, a novelty, a, something anomalous, that the members of the Erev Rav that did not have prior warning and did not have Edim, since Moshe did not give them this potion to drink, they remained alive. And the fulfillment of Hashem's words, I will blot them out from my book regarding this demographic. They were not killed at this immediate time with the others that had sinned. Rather, it will be on the day that I make an accounting, I will account for them. And this is the same as others of B'nai Yisrael that were not blotted out at that time, even though they were also indicted for the sin in that they did not rise up against the actual sinners. So all of B'nai Yisrael are tainted by the sin, but Hashem says, I'm not going to kill them now. Shemati Elecha, I listen to you. This was in effect the first filibuster. It was successful. And Hashem says, I listen to you. I'm not killing them now. Dalad. So now that we understand that Moshe Rabbeinu did not give the Erev Rav to drink this potion, in fact, why? Rashi explains this on the words by Yishak as B'nai Yisrael. So if you have your Chomish, it's always good to look in the Chomish. It's always easier. Um, so this is Pasuk Chaf in Parak Lamed Beis. Lamed Beis Chaf, 3220. And the Torah tells us, Egel, Maisha took the Egel, Asher Asu, the Bnei Yisrael made, Vayisrof Ba'esh, and he burned it in fire, Vayitzchan Ad Asher Dak, and he ground it into fine powder, Vayizer Al Pnei Hamayim, he scattered it on the water, Vayashk as Bnei Yisrael, and he made Bnei Yisrael drink it. And look at Rashi on the words, Vayashk as Bnei Yisrael, Niskavin Levotkam Kisaitis. He intended to, taste, to test them in the same manner as our women suspected of adultery. And the, we're back in the Sicha. And the explanation for the link between Saita, between the suspected adulteress and what's going on here, move on, is understood from Rashi's explanation later in the Parsha. So now take a look at Perak Lamid Dalit 34, Pasuk Aleph. So 34.1, Parak Lamedalit Aleph. So 
So there the Pasuk tells us, Hashem said to Moshe, Carve out for yourself two stone tablets. Kari shenim, just like the first ones. Vichasafti ala luches is a dvarim asher hayu ala luches erishenim asher shibarta, and I will write upon the luches the words which were on the first luches that you broke. Rashi, psalacha, ata shibarta harishenis, ata psalacha cheres. You broke the first ones. You carve out for yourselves. You carve out for yourself the next ones, the other ones. Mashal. Rashi says, I'm going to give you a parable. This is an analogy to a king who went off to a faraway land and he left his arusa, his betrothed, in the company of maidservants. As a result of the immoral behavior of the maidservants, the reputation of the king's betrothed was besmirched. So her bridesman got up and he tore her marriage contract. Amar, he said to himself, I've got to break this marriage. I've got to tear up this contract. Because the king might hear fake news and he might give an order that she should be killed. I will say, you can't kill her. You can't have her killed. She's not your wife yet. I tore up the contract. It's null and void. And that consequently caused the king to skip a beat, wait, and investigate. And, and then he found that the immoral behavior was only on the part of the maidservants. He was reconciled with his betrothed. He told the bridesman, write her another marriage contract. For the first one was torn up. The king replied to him. So the bridesman said to the king, write her another contract. So the king said, you're the one who tore it up. You buy some more paper and I'll write it out for her in my handwriting. Rashi says, In the analog, the king is God. The bridesmaids are the Erev Rav, surrounding the God's betrothed. And the bridesman is Meisha. God's betrothed is Yisrael. Therefore, Hashem says, carve out for yourself. Okay, so Moshe did not break the luchais because he had a anger problem. He broke the luchais because he wanted to save Bnei Yisrael. Even as in doing so, for Moshe to break the luchais that Hashem Himself created. But he put B'nai Yisrael before the Torah. Very famous sikhs on that whole idea. But right now, let's look at back at the sikha. So we're in the third paragraph under Siv Dalit. Um, move on. So once you read that Rashi, it's understood. It's simply understood. Hatam shaloi hishkos I don't know how to pronounce this properly. Once again. 
let me look back. Oh, no, no. There it says, So now we understand, simply speaking, why Moshe did not give the Erev to drink this water. Because once you understand the dynamic of the relationship, the Erev are not the betrothed, they are the bridesmaids. They are not included in the demographic that is likened to God's betrothed. So then there is no place regarding the Erev to test them in the same way that an adult, that a suspected adulteress would be, because they're not, they're not betrothed to God. And remember that betrothal is a halachic paradigm in which if you break a betrothal, it's different than engagement, you actually need a get. But um, this did not include the Erebrav. So now we understand why they were not punished in the same way. And we understand that we have a pasuk, our pasuk, Lamed Gimel Aleph 32.1, that speaks only about them and Moshe taking them up to Eretz Yisrael. After Hashem had already spoken about taking the rest of the Israel. Hey, and now, based on everything we've learned above, and now we understand why there are two psukim that seem effectively to say the same thing. Because prior, the earlier, um, the other, earlier instruction that Hashem had given Moshe in Perak Lamid Bays, Pasuk Lamid Dalit, and now go and lead these people. This was this devolved, this was concerning the Bene Yisrael that had not practically served the Egal. Because those Jews who had actually actively served the Egal. They were no longer. They perished in one of the three punishments. And their punishment was in that they had not stood up against. They had not, um, they had not reprimanded. They had, uh, doesn't mean to reprimand. It means to stand up against something. If somebody can help me with the word, I would appreciate it. Okay. They weren't meicha. They they did not stand up and say this is protest. They did not protest. Thank you, Mashi. Mashi enkein the pasuk lech alei. If you have the Hebrew in front of you, there's a there's a, actually a mistake here. In contradistinction, in our pasuk that we're looking at, Lamed Gimel Aleph, where Hashem says lech alei, go and drink up. Haidia kadosh baruch hu davar chadash. Hashem notified Moshe something new. That even those from among the Erev that sinned with the Egel, and they remained alive because regarding them, they had no prior warning and there were no witnesses. They too will go up to Eretz Yisrael, and not just go, 
but lech alei. They will ascend, go and ascend. Even in these sinners will be the Indian of Aliyah of ascendance. And to understand what is the ascendancy regarding these people, Mifaresh Rashi. Now we understand what Rashi is doing in our Rashi. Kan loy Amar Rashi points out that here it doesn't say Amcha, your people, Moshe. These who had served the Egel de Tshuva, Al Khatam on their on their sin, and therefore they can now be termed, they can be called, they can be referred to, Loi Amcha, not as your your nation, Moshe's nation, Elatoyer Nale Yoseh. But with a more exalted appellation, Ha'am, the nation, not your nation, which was a reference to something negative that Moshe had taken these people up from its Mitzrayim of his own accord. They had not really shown fealty and loyalty to Hashem's word, and so on and so forth. Vav. And now we can understand another specificity in this pasuk. That davka in this pasuk, there's an additional word lech In the previous pasuk, it says simply lech go and lead the people. Here we have go, ascend, which we've already treated mizeh from this. It would seem, it seems that the Pasuk should rather have said, Go and ascend you and the nation. What does it mean, Mizat, from this? But this specificity comes to underscore that the ascendancy is from this. What is this? To turn away and to ascend. From the Chet HaEgel. This is both regarding Moshe, about whom Hashem said, Rashi explains that when Moshe was excommunicated, Hashem said to Moshe, I only made you great because of them. Now that they've messed up, go down. And this was also an ascendancy, a pushing away from the sin for the Arab Rav, Sha'abdu Asa'igel, who had, who had served the, the golden calf. Masha'in came, but in contradistinction, when you look at the previous passage, regarding B'nai Yisrael, Shaloy Abdu Asa'igel, who did not serve the Egel, these people were all people who had not served the Egel. So it doesn't have to say, Lech Mizeh. Go from this. Zai. But the Rebbe says, Amnam, however, l'achri kolanal, after everything we've explained, safe, safe, at the end of the story, ein hadover mechaber It doesn't entirely compute. Ketzadi tachin, shedafka mea erevrav, shehem hayu b'ikar hachoytim b'oivdel ha'egel. How is it possible that dafka, a group of the erevrav, 
who were the instigators. They were the main perpetrators of the crime. They were the ones that were corrupted and they corrupted others. How is it possible that they were not all judged with death and bays? And about them, not only do they remain alive, but it says, Alei go up, that they experience an ascendancy. And we might explain by prefacing with a Maimer Chazal, that the Mishkan, the tabernacle, was eternal. Why? Because anything that Moshe put his hands on, anything that Moshe was involved in, it's all eternal. Further analyzing, he says, actually, the gold, the silver, and all the other materials came from the whole nation. It wasn't exclusively Moshe's. And actually fashioning the Mishkan and all the aspects of the Mishkan, that was done by Bisalel. And still in all, but because erecting the Mishkan was through the agency of Mesha, and also he was the one who gave the instructions as to how it should be fashioned, and therefore it was eternal. So if this is true about the Mishkan, then how much more so regarding the Erev about which Hashem said, you accepted them of your own volition and you converted him. And so in this regard, they are like the words that the Torah says about Avraham and Sarah, the souls that they made. Rashi explains that these were the converts that they brought under the Kanfei Hashkina the wings of Hashem's presence. So we might be able to say that the reason why a group of the Erev Rav should remain in existence, even though they sinned, is because they are Moshe's creation, as it were. And anything that Moshe was involved in is Nitzchi, is eternal. But the Rebbe, of course, <laughs> is not going to stop here. And now begins the... Now, now, now the Rebbe takes us into deeper and deeper levels of what these two demographics teach us, what they stand for, what they are emblematic of, and, and into a, um, a binary that the Rebbe Sichas returned to over and over again. Yes. Habira Primi the inner explanation of all this, we might say, Rebbe says that the completion of the tikkun of Cheta Egel came specifically through this expression that the Erev Rab were not completely destroyed, but rather were nistakim, they were fixed, they were altered spiritually, and they were elevated. The Yuvon Behektim Divrei Chazal, 
And we will understand this by prefacing the words of Chazal. And this is in Gemara Vedazara Daf Dalit, very famous. The Gemara says some unbelievable words. That B'nai Yisrael were completely not spiritually in a place where they would have done such a thing. This thing is not worthy of their spiritual stature. B'nai Yisrael, after Matan Torah, were returned to the spiritual purity and exaltedness of, of Adam Ahava before Chet Etzadas. They were perfect spiritually. The Chet Egel, so how did Chet Egel happen? The Gemara says, Gezeras Melech Haisa. It was the divine decree of the King of all Kings that this sin should happen. Why? The Gemara continues, to give Balei Tshuva of all generations. Literally, that means an opening of a mouth, meaning to give them a pathway, a conduit. In other words, this opens the conduit of tshuva. So Hashem takes B'nai Yisrael, who are totally not in a spiritual place where they would agree to this, even if the Erev Rav have this crazy idea. But the B'nai Yisrael are so many more than that. Why would they not overpower them? But this was a gezera of the Melech. This was a gezera Hashem forced B'nai Israel to do this sin. Litom In order to, to blaze the path of tshuva for all time to come. Via and it's well known, Habira Primi the inner understanding, that this whole idea of blazing a path for Bali Tshuva, this was not only regarding future Bali Tshuva, but it was rather also so that the Bnei Yisrael of that time should reach the exalted level of teshuva. And here the Rebbe says something that is over and over in his chasidus. Shari ha hi avoida kazu, because tshuva is an avoida. Before we go into the Rebbe is saying what kind of avoida, but I want to stop on this, that tshuva is not a description of your life's trajectory. It's not a sociological uh, demographic. Bali tshuva is an avoida that we can all only hope to get to. But it has to be a strand of avoida in every yid's avoida constantly. But what's the difference between this avoida and others? Tshuva is not an avoida that a person can choose in the first place. Adarab, on the contrary. The Mishnah teaches us that if a person says, I'm going to sin, and then I'm going to repent, they can never do tshuva. 
It's only after a person stumbles, God forbid, and trespasses Hashem's will. Then Hashem gives him an auspicious time during which he can, and, and he's in fact obligated to do tshuva. In addition to this, when we talk about the void of tshuva, there is an exaltedness about it that dwarfs, that eclipses the void of tzadikim. Like the very famous utterance of our chazal, that in the place where Bali Tshuva stand, a complete tzaddik can never stand there. It's, it's, it's unbelievable the chadushim that the Rebbe is just throwing at us one after the other. In order for Bnei Yisrael, who are by Matan to reach the exalted level of this tshuva, in addition to the exalted level of reaching the level of tzaddik that they had come to by standing at the revelation at Sinai, so of their own accord, they would never have done anything wrong. Like Rashi says on that Gemara that we said earlier, they were in complete control of the Sahara. They would never have come to do a sin after which they could come to the exalted level of Tshuva. For that reason, there had to be an edict of the king. The Yitzhahara was given the possibility to reign over them temporarily for that time. And only in this way would they be able to reach this Eloi, this, this elevated level of Teshuva. Tess. Sorry, so this means there was no free choice at that moment? Yeah. I mean, like, how does that, I mean, always, at risk of sounding cynical, like, how does that make us not be popular? I just don't really understand that. Okay. Okay. So the, the true answer is like this the fact that people sinned in different gradations means that there was some level of Bechira. But the fact that B'nai Yisrael were going to sin, generally speaking, that B'nai Yisrael were going to be cast into this sin, that was Xeris HaMelech. Now, each person individually, what they were going to do, to what extent they were going to involve themselves, v'chule, v'chule. look, we know famously, the women were not involved at all. Ergo, our, our Yom Tevosh We know Shevet Levi was not involved at all. As a Shevet, they were not involved. And we also know that only a tiny percentage of B'nai Yisrael were actually involved, but all of them were indicted in that they did not, they did not protest. But the words of the Rebbe that, uh, that the Yetzirah was able to show it, it just sounds like very much a lack of space for the individual choice, whereas yes, we do see there was choice, but it, I don't know, it's interesting. 
I think that when well, that when the Rebbe says that Nitna Biyata Yitzhara Bahem, it means that the Yitzhara was given an extra measure of Shlita of sovereignty over them. Again, it doesn't completely obviate choice, but it does create a whole new situation, which you have called out correctly. But I don't think it completely takes away choice. If it not, if it completely knocked out choice, you wouldn't have different people ended up making different choices. Um, also, Rifke, can I add something? Please. When Hashem when Hashem gives you an assign, He gives you also the measure for measure, the koyach, to overcome it. So at the same time that Hashem gave the shadow to the Yitzhahara, He probably gave an extra measure to overcome. Yeah, could be. And especially they were already on a very high level, which is why they had to make that the Yitzhahara should have extra shlita. Basically, I mean, when you learn this and, you know, there's so much, so much to learn on this, but like, basically this was going to be the last hurrah of the Yitzhahara. If B'nai Yitzhahara would not have done the sin, it would have been Mashiach Saitan. But therefore, it wasn't time for Mashiach to come. So the Abishra allows, if you look in the first Rashi on, on, on this whole story, Rashi says that the Yitzhahara created like some kind of weather condition, some kind of anomalous monsoon or I don't know what that caused him to say, Maisha has gone. Then he, then he allowed the Yitzhahara to show the Jews um, a, a vision, an apparition of Maisha being like carried on a stretcher. In other words, you know, the Satan really went to town here. Uh, Tzipah's writing in the, in the chat, it's like the king who sends tests to his sons, he sends a messenger. So, but I think it's even more than a messenger. I think it's even more than the classic sending of a messenger, which is always the way we understand any Nisayan, any Yitzhahara, right? That it's just a test, the king doesn't really want the prince to go with the prostitute and so on and so forth. But this is more, I mean, this is a singular statement. And I have found that in studying with people, this idea, they, the Rebbe really in this Gemara, but it seems like the rest of the world kind of just buries it because it doesn't, doesn't fit well with their narrative, you know? It's like, what? Um, but, it, it, but in Sicha after Sicha, the Rebbe, the Rebbe brings this to our attention that they had to reach the level of tshuva. But what the Rebbe is saying is that without this, they wouldn't have gotten to the highest level of matan You hear? That's like a, another knech. That's another aspect here. This is the next level of matan After tzaddikim is the is, is avayit of bali tshuva. Tess. One of the, the exalted aspects of the void of tshuva relative to the void of tzaddikim, who shadavka yide tshuva nitan levares nitzaitis hakadusha shenaflu v'nichnesu l'rashos gimel klipas hatmeis. That it's davka through tshuva that there is even the possibility to extricate and refine the sparks of holiness that fell into the rishos of the Gimel Klippa Satmeya Sadamri, the three levels of Klippa that are completely impure. 
Why? Because Adam Asher Yashar Haleach, a person that is upright, upstanding, goes in the proper path, a tzaddik, so this kind of person can only elevate the sparks of holiness that are found in, in the things that are permitted, in the things that are rishos. You're permitted to, to engage in those things. But in contradistinction, when it comes to things that are forbidden, a tzaddik has to, a, a, a Jew who is on the derech yashar has to rebuff them. He has to push them away. And therefore, so that kind of person who is walking on the right path, so to speak, you know, he can't make something that is also into something holy. But about Shuva, on the other hand, Poyel or or Lumazais uh, uh, in, in, in contradistinction, Poyel Alide Shuva Shlema is able to affect through complete Shuva, that his sins should be transformed to merits. Kaloimar, that is to say, not only does he destroy or neutralize the evil. The bad, but more than this, he elevates the godly sparks that are found in these sins. And in this way, they become merits and they become holy. This difference, this above mentioned difference between a tzaddik and a balchuva. That the Balshuva specifically only he or she can elevate the sparks of holiness that are mired in the three completely impure. It's not only because the tzaddik doesn't have these sins. Ella, but rather but this fact actually flows from a more general difference between a tzaddik and a balchuba. What is the explanation? What is the more general difference? Okay, get ready. Now we're going on a, on a, a journey up, up, and up. Okay. So when, from the perspective of the unity, the true unity of Hashem, from the perspective, let's call it the view from above. Okay, from the view from above, it's not possible to say that there is another existence, any type of existence, that is not incorporated in the unity of Hashem, God forbid. Like our sages taught, there is nothing but him, says the Torah, says the Gemara, and even um, magicians, that deny the existence of the um, celestial retinue, the heavenly court. They too are not independent contractors. 
They're part of Hashem's unity. But when you talk about Hashem's unity, about Hashem's achdos, there are two ways of understanding it. There are two modalities. Aleph. One way to approach this is to say that anything bad, anything evil, is no contra- contradiction to Hashem's unity because it doesn't really have an existence. Evil is only the lack, the absence of something, the lack of holiness. So this modality of relating to that which is not holy in this world is by pushing it away. It's nothing. You obviate it. It's nothing. You call out its nothingness. You don't relate to it. You hang up on it. You just hang up. You don't engage. Base. But there's another, there's a there's another way of dealing with Ra. That is another way of understanding Achdos Hashem. The first is to rebuff it. The second is to understand that that the godly spark that vivifies that which is ra, that which is bad, that which is contra, was made especially. And it's a manifest aspect of godliness. Even though prior to this, this was distanced and darkened so that it appears to be Ra. Because when all is said and done, the intention of creating Ra, which is why it has a holy spark in it, is only so that it should be transformed to good. And it should be elevated to holiness. And this second aspect of Achdos Hashem that is effectuated through our Avaida, this can only happen through Tshuva. That through the agency of Tshuva, the sins become like merits. And the godly spark rises upward to holiness. There's more. Don't those two ideas contradict each other? I'm sorry. I, mean, I, underst- I understand the ideas. One is pushing away and one is transforming. But in terms of our approach, I know we have different approaches to different things, but that the formation of evil itself, it seems contradictory. So it's one is lamata. One is when you look from above, in the view from above, there's nothing. So it's nothing. It's just an annoying telecaller, just hang up. Because there's nothing. But from the view from below, <laughs> it's Ra that we have to contend with. And we have the ability to transform. Yud Aleph. Bechlolos, generally, Hashem, Kefishi, Right here. Perfect segue, your question. 
Generally speaking, this is the difference between the unity of Hashem, mitzad el from the perspective of Godliness, or ben achtos kafisha he misgal and the unity of Hashem in the way it manifests in this world. Mitzad achtos Hashem kafisha nergeshes ba'elam, from the perspective of when we look at the unity of Hashem, in the way that it is felt and experienced in this world, that the world is united with God. So because the Ra that is in this world, what is its job? What is its role? To go counter to Godliness. So how do you reveal you rebuff the Ra, you push it away, you hang up on it. In this way, you reveal that bad or evil is simply the absence or lack of manifest Kedusha. You know, the term Chilol Shabbos or Chilol Hashem. The word Chilol is etymologically related to the word related to the word Chalal, which means an empty space. So when you're Mechalal Shabbos, you cause a puncture in the Shabbos bubble, as it were. You open up an empty space that's bereft of the kedusha of Shabbos. When you make a Chilol Hashem, you open up an empty space that's supposed to be filled with Kiddush Hashem. So Ra is simply the absence. That's in one modality. Avo mitzad elokus. But mitzad, so but what's interesting about Yud Aleph as opposed to Yud is that the Chep is now turning it on its head. And he's saying, mitzad, this world, this world was created by Hashem. This world actually exists within a tiny crevice within God. There's only God. And therefore, when you see something annoying, that rings your phone, just hang up. Hang up on the Ra. But now from the view from above, when there is something negative in this world, you have to look at it and you have to relate to it on the level of the true kavana for its existence. Which is Hanitsuitzbidvar Hashem. It is the spark of Hashem. It is an utterance of Hashem. Hamachaya Isai. That that allows it to live, that vivifies it, that allows its existence. So from that perspective, from the Dvar Hashem, from the word of Hashem, which is why everything in Hebrew is called a davar, because it's a dvar Hashem. So from that perspective, so then when you look at the Ra, you relate to it and you feel only the existence that was created to be subsumed in holiness through our Aveda. And now we are in a position to learn a deeper understanding of the difference between Avodah Sadiqim and Avodah Sachuba. Avodah Sadiqim, Hibiderah Hamshacha. Avodah Sadiqim is all about drawing down Milmaila Lamata from above to below. Laham Shikh Elakus Bitoicha Elam 
to draw down godliness within the world. And how do tzaddikim relate to the opposite of godliness, of holiness? Their work is to reveal the unity of God by relating to the Ra, that is mitzada oilam, that is minaged, that shemalim master minaged, that that obscures and obfuscates and hides and goes against godliness. And how do they do it? They rebuff the bad. But the Avaida Bali Tshuva goes in the opposite direction, from below upward. It is all about elevation. So the Tzaddik is taking the elevator down, the Bal Tshuva is taking the elevator up. Melmata lemaila, from below upward. Yitzia mina You see, look above. The Tzaddik is drawing down bitoicha ilam. He's drawing down into the world, and the Bal Tshuva is leaving the world. And you might remember this in the, in the, in the sikha that we did last week about the bells. When you leave, when you run away, when you have to break out of prison, this is all very noisy and messy. And therefore, when the Baal is engaged in this work, they are relating to the bad as it is seen from above. So they're looking at everything from the perspective from above, the good, the bad. So when they look at the bad, they, they have an understanding, they have a recognition and a feeling for the panemius hakavana, for the innermost intention of Hashem for, for the Ra, which is Hadvar Hashem Sheboi. That is the godly spark that is found in that Ra, that is totally united with God. And therefore, they elevate through Tshuva the holy sparks that are found in the Ra, and they elevate it to Kedusha. And through this, we can understand the words of Chazal, now we can understand something that's very perplexing. That one of the reasons for Cheta Egel flowed from the fact that during Matan Teira, B'nai Yisrael saw a revelation of the Merkava, the celestial throne of Hashem, or the celestial um, chariot of Hashem, and one of the images was a shor, an ox. Ulechayra, it would seem. This is this is like the greatest wonder. It's true that Chita Egel was a gazer of the Melech, as we said above. Aval Madua, but why? How is it possible? Okay, we understand that the Ebishter wanted the sin to happen. It was Xavier the Melech. But why should it come Davka through an image that was etched 
on the chariot of Hashem. How is it possible? And more so, this was something they saw, a revelation during Matan Torah. In other words, this lowest of low sin should come from the highest of high revelations. But based on what we said above, but when we understand that the whole idea of Chet Egel was to bring Bnei Yisrael to the exalted place of Tshuva, Hadava move on, then it's understood. Because as we said above, because the Tshuva Bnei Yisrael was a continuation of the revelation of Matan Torah. During Matan Torah was revealed the unity of Hashem as it is from the view from above. But in order for the unity of Hashem as is expressed in this world below to be revealed, until the lowest place where you have the work of the magicians, the three completely impure clippers. That is only through the Xer of the Melech that cast them into the sin and the Tshuva that they did. The extrication and the refinement of the godly sparks that are found in the lowest strata of bad or evil or the opposite of holiness, that was, that was, that was affected through the tshuva on this finds its ultimate expression in the fact that the ultimate expression of this tshuva is found in the fact that those amongst the Arab Rav that served the Egel remained alive and they did teshuvah. This demographic, the Erev Rav, they were the ones that corrupted and corrupted others. They were the instigators. They were the inciters. This very demographic is a demographic that the terrorist says you're not even allowed to learn. The Gemara Sanhedrin says you're not even allowed to give them the benefit of the doubt. Not even their source and their spiritual antecedent is in the Gimel Klippas Atmeyas Lagame. And there's no good in them. And yet, what is the Chiddush here that they did Shuvah bin Cain? And if so, their Shuvah is the quintessence of sins becoming merits is hafcha chashaycha lenhaira, the transformation of darkness into light. And now we're circling right back to the beginning. And now we understand in a whole new way the words of Hashem go and rise up, ascend from this. You and the nation that you brought out of Egypt. Ha'aliyah. Your ultimate ascendant Himizeh is fueled by this act. 
earlier we said mizeh means put distance between yourself, mizeh, from this act and where you're going now. But now the Rebbe is teaching us mizeh on a deeper level means it's from this sin that you are catapulted to the highest heights. This is an aliyah that comes as a result of Chet Egel. And this is revealed and this is recognized through the fact that the Erev Rav were fixed spiritually and they were elevated to holiness and they were transformed from Amcha the nation that Moshe took out, not with Hashem's permission to become um, the nation of Hashem. Now, Tesvav, truly incredible, the next part, deals with the Haftarah of this coming week. And we know, the Rebbe never tires of reminding us that the Haftarah is always correlated to the theme of the Parsha. And therefore, as Hanukuda Hamura Moitzim Anugam Bahaftairs, Parshas Tisa, Besiporides Elio Baharakarma. This central theme that the Rebbe has revealed for us, he says, is found also in the Haftaira, the Parshas Tisa, which is the famous story of Elio Baharakarmel. There were many, many, many Jews that got involved in the idol worship that was most prominent in that day, and they were worshiping the Baal. And it came to such a point that Leo had to do something very drastic and very dramatic and very anomalous, because at that point you weren't already supposed to bring carbonis anywhere but in Yerushalayim. And yet Leo basically called an assembly of all the Jews that were alive at that time, and he created a showdown between Hashem and Lahavdil, the Baal. Amru Chazal Aydas Hapar Sha'ala Lashem Habal. So the Chazal teach us in the Medrash regarding the par, the ox that was brought up. So what happened was Zelio said, We're going to bring up uh, your, you, the Nevi'e Habal, you. Um, prophets or priests of the Baal, you're going to bring a par, you're going to bring an ox up to your God. I'm going to offer an ox to our God. And we're going to see which one will be, will be accepted, if, where the fire is going to come from heaven. So the Medrash tells us that about the ox that was offered to the Baal, the ox said, no, I'm not in. I don't want to be part of this. The who he, meaning the parish of the Yahu, the ox that you are going to offer to God, is going up to And God's name will be, will be made holy through that ox. And you want me to be brought up for the Baal? No, I don't agree. I don't want to be part of this horrible thing where I'm going to anger my creator. So Eliyahu answered to the ox, Do 
just like Hashem's name will be exalted and made holy through the ox that is with me, in equal fashion, in exactly the same way, will, Hashem, will there be a Kiddush Hashem through you. So what's the explanation? The simple explanation of what Elio said to the ox is this. Just like the power of Elio is going to sanctify Hashem's name through the, through the miracle that will happen through its agency, through its being brought up. Because this will be an open manifestation of the truth of Eliyahu as a true prophet. The same thing will happen through the par, through the ox that is brought up for the bow. That ox will be able to sanctify God's name because there will be no overture from above. Famous words. There's no sound. There's nobody that's answering. When it will be brought up. Because through there not being a call, there'll be no answer, there'll be no voice. This will, in manifest fashion, affirm the lies, the absolute untruth of the Nevi'e Habal, and therefore the truth of Hashem. But the Rebbe says, but still not understood. If you look at the specific terminology of the Medrash, which says, Kishem means in exactly the same way. Mashma is understood. That is understood that the Kiddush Hashem is going to happen through both oxen in exactly the same way. And it would seem that it would seem that there was a distinction because the Kiddush Hashem will happen actually through the par, through the agency of the ox. Because the truth of Hashem will be revealed through this ox being offered. Masha Inc. in a contradistinction, but Parsha Allah Baal, regarding the ox that will be brought up to the Baal, Hare Kiddush Meshel Baruch, the sanctification of Hashem's name, Menu Shlila. It comes in a different way, it comes in a negative way. Shebe'i Hakravasai, in it not being brought up. Noichechu Haroyim Klape Habal Shein by Emes. Only through it not being burnt, through it not being brought up, were those present able to see regarding the Baal that there is no truth in that deity. So Rebbe says, how could you say Kishem in exactly the same way when there is a real distinction? But the explanation is in accordance to what, in what with the Chesidus the Rebbe taught us before. Through Eliyahu's showdown, through this singular pu'ula, through which Eliyahu caused B'nai Yisrael to do tshuva, he revealed here below the achdus of Hashem, the famous words, Hashem hu elikim. As it is from the view from, the view from above. 
וכיוון שמצד אחדות זו נמצא דבר השם בגילוי, היינו שפנימיס והכוונה שבכל דבר בעולם מסגלס בעולם, and because from the view from above, from that perspective of אחדות, we see the דבר השם the utterance of Hashem in everything, meaning we recognize the innermost intention in everything, and it all becomes revealed. Therefore, Al-Kain, Kishem Sheshmeishel Baruch Miskadish Al-Yad Zeshe'imi, Kach Miskadish Al-Yadcha. Then from that perspective, it's 100% true, because whether the ox is consumed in the fire, or whether the ox is not consumed in the fire, They're both manifestations of the same unity and the same singularity of Hashem. Because through this tshuva the Bnei Israel did was revealed the innermost understanding of the Baal that was that was supposed to be brought up to the Baal. The godly spark that vivified that part was elevated to Kedusha. Tezayin, the last if and the hayra'a. Omikan gam hayra'a b'negeya l'payel. And here we have our practical takeaway. Yeshnam k'ilu shakol asakam v'chayusam himrak b'dvarim shehemi l'chatchila Kedusha. There are those that their entire involvement and their entire life revolves around those things that are a priori, holy. And this kind of person claims that it's only through these ways, Dafka, that God's name is exalted and sanctified. And evolving oneself to help straighten out the path of somebody who's trespassing Hashem's word, Rachman Atzlan, and Al-Tachem explains about every Avera, about every trespass, that in essence, every Avera is the opposite, Mamish, the opposite of Hashem's exalted will. It is just like bowing down and prostrating to Avedazara. But regarding trying to help people like this, he doesn't want to have a hand in this. In accordance with his claim, he does not want to be in proximity. He doesn't want to touch. He doesn't want to be involved in the power of a He's too holy. And so to this come the words of the Medrash to the ox. Just like Hashem's name is exalted and sanctified through the ox that is with me, Eliyahu said to the ox. Meaning, just like you do great things for Hashem when you send the base Medrash and you learn Torah, so will Hashem's name be sanctified through your agency. Hashem's name is sanctified through all the work that is done with people who are involved in things that are at this moment contrary to Hashem. In fact, the highest level of Hashem is 
the highest level of Akhtas Hashem is exposed and is revealed specifically by taking the precious out of the disgusting, the vile. This is based on a Pasuk in Yemiyahu. And this is done through involving oneself in bringing to tshuva those who need to do tshuva. And through this, their sins become for them merit. And even more so. If you look at the story, you'll see that Elio told the Nevi'i Habal, you go first. He gave them first dips. He gave them the chance to try for the fire to come down. Only after did he bring down his ox. This tells us, that this work that is embodied in the ox that went up to the Baal, meaning the work of tshuva comes before the work of sitting in the base medrash and studying Torah like a big tzaddik and doing mitzvahs. Not that it's not important, but the Rebbe says there's a hierarchy, there's a, there's a priority. And the same is true for each one of us. Even when bringing closer a Jew that at this time is at a distance from Hashem, involves from time to time giving up some of your time during which you could study Torah and do your Avaidah, the Jew has to know. The Jew has to know that first has to be even at the price of giving up some of your time, where maybe you could learn another sikh, another blat gemari, you could do more mitzvahs, you could daven ba'voida, you could daven longer with more kavana. But more important is that Hashem's name should be miskadesh through the par, through the ox that is brought up for the Baal, through the Avaida of Baal The Karib Yehudi HaRachik Miados, to bring closer this Jew that is at a distance from Judaism. Kishem Shashmai Shal Kishbrochu Miskadesh Al Yad Zeh Sheimi Teirosai Bavadasa Shaloi. And to remember the words of Elio to the par that will be just like that through this you will sanctify Hashem's name, just like the par that I am offering. And that is the turn of this Jew. That might be on a very exalted level that he's going to have to give up in order to involve him herself with another Jew. And this binary, these two strands of Avodah, that are found in the story that the Torah tells us about Eliyahu Navi. And who is Eliyahu Navi? He is the one that will be Mavasa Hagula. He will let us know. He's going to tweet Mashiach's coming. Taviyas Hagula Hamitas Bahashlema Bekarab Mamash. 
through engaging in both of these avoiders, through exposing the Achtas Hashem, through both modalities, to understanding the view from above and the view from below, we will bring Mashiach, will bring the Geula, the true Geula and the complete Geula, and may it be Bekar of Mamish. And uh, this is a good time to wish everybody a Freilich Purim Katan coming up. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Can I ask you a question? It was like a little bit. See, if you had the second modality, you said it was the view from below, but then everywhere else, it seems to be the view from above. Yeah. If I'm understanding it correctly, and that's an if, but if I'm understanding it correctly, the Rebbe was like kind of in, in one, and, and you are telling us a certain way of understanding it, and then your Aleph and your Bey is going the opposite direction. But it's really all the same thing. I, I don't know if everybody wants to say on, you're welcome to, but I think I can explain how it's really the same thing. So let's go back. In Yud, right? right? So in Yud, from one perspective, the Ra is not a stira, because it's not a Matthias. So that's the view from above, Enoid Mavadi. Another view from below is that, no, it is a Matthias. We deal with it here in this world. But we remind ourselves that this is the Kavana Primis. And that's why there's a Nitzitz Kadesha that's, that's, that's keeping it in existence because, the, because this is the Kavana Primis. You could see, however, how the second modality can also be the view from above. Because from the view from above, it's only about the Kavana Pnimis. So I think that's, that's, that's what's going on here. But we probably also have to learn it another few times. Also, is this the end of the Erevra? Like, do we not hear about them again? Because now they've been accepted into... No, don't we hear? Isn't um, later I, the Mun? Aren't there some uh, wonderful members who come back to put out the Mun on Shabbos? Aren't they also connected to the Erev I think so. I'm not 100% sure. I have to check it out, but I think so. Even after they did Shuva like this? So there's, you know, you know, there's like the the the, the pathology, the, the starter of pathology for all of B'nai Israel and also for them, it seems. I'm going to check it out and I'm going to, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. BV says yes, Dustin and Aviram, yeah. Yes. Can I, can I ask a question also? Sure. We don't, we don't okay. So when the heir of Rav are not being held sort of responsible by being punished in the way that B'nai Yisrael, the two categories, the way B'nai oh. Yisrael... They're being held responsible. They're just not being related to. Ah, ah, Vivi, Vivi, I'm sorry, Hannah. I'm so right. sorry. Vivi is correcting me. No, they're not from the era of Rav. So, um, it would mean that you're, you are correct, that this is the end of the era of Rav. Hannah, um, you said they're not being held responsible. I'm sorry. I, I, I have a terrible habit of interrupting people. I, I apologize. No, I, I don't mean that they're not being held responsible, but if I can just finish my line of thinking. Yeah. So the two, the two categories is, were they forewarned and was there a witness? 
and their case, it's neither. So if, if they're sort of more like, we think of them more like a balichuva in that they, they were exposed to so many different things and the, their essence um, is not the way a yid's essence is. So if, if the first category is that they've been exposed to so many different things, so of course they're gonna bring that in with them. And if they haven't been forewarned, that's forewarned. And if there weren't any witnesses, I presume that the witness is to uh, verify whether or not there was intention involved. So if the intention was to bring people away and you have a witness to say that, then, then that would create a real problem. But if, the, if they don't know what their intentions were, if they did it not to directly challenge Hashem, but they did it because it's, it's a, it was with their way of life, it's almost like in their mother's milk, then do we not see them the same way that we sort of see a Bali Chuva who might be, be by their activities bring people away, but they're not really, it's not their intention to challenge Hashem. Do you understand? I, I, I'm not sure I understand, um, but I'll try and you'll tell me if I understood. So first of all, I, I want to just bring something to your attention. We're not setting up the dialectic between Tzadikim and Bali Tshuva as B'nai Yisrael versus the Erev Rav. It's in both cases about B'nai Yisrael, but it's before they sin and after they sin. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two, witnesses is not for the purpose of being able to ascertain what the person's objective or true intention is. Witnesses is to ascertain that they did it. And the prior warning is to give them a chance to desist from, from, that, from, that, um, from that action. But I think when you began to talk and you said they were not held responsible, I think what you were trying to bring out is that they were given a pass. It seems like they were given a pass here. Right. Unlike the rest of B'nai Yisrael, for whom if there was no Eidim Bahasra, they had to drink the water, the Eirah Rab didn't. But what the Rebbe brings out here is that it wasn't a pass as much as they didn't merit. They didn't have the privilege of being tested that way because that privilege is only for one who is betrothed or married to God and they were not in that category at that time right okay does that help yes very much okay good okay sure anything else okay so wishing everybody thank you very thank you Sure. Thank you, everybody, and Kolto. Wonderful day. Afreleche Purim Katan. And this allows us to breathe because it means there's two months to Pesach.